Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Aaron Adams and I are recording this particular episode on Monday, January 7th, 2019, which is the day after something truly extraordinary just happened at the Golden Globe, which is that Sony Picture Animation's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse just took home the, the award for Best Animated Feature. Yay! <laughs> Deservedly so, I want to say. Well, no, no. I mean, I, I, I have to admit, I'm thrilled myself because, again, it was a great movie. But, look, the smart money was on Incredibles too. I mean, face it, it's Pixar, which has dominated this category you know, forever. Right. Uh, that Brad Bird movie got glow-in-the-dark reviews. It made... $1.2 billion worldwide, which is about a quarter of what Spider-Man... Well, here's my thinking mm-hmm. on this whole Spider-Man thing is that normally, traditionally, all of Marvel's animated movies have been direct-to-video. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for it to come out in a theater first is, is an anomaly of why. Why is this even here? And I was doubtful of it. As a Spider-Man fan, I didn't even really care about it until uh, Drew had said, it's the best animated movie of the year. And then I was like, okay, I I really should check it out. And after Mm -hmm. seeing it, I was like, oh my God, this is something completely off the charts, new, amazing, different. It's great in so many different levels. In the past, I've actually enjoyed DC animation more than anything Marvel has ever put out. And this is the first time where I felt that something with the Marvel name animated belonged in a theater it deserved to be seen on a big screen this is head and shoulders above anything i've ever seen animated period and i'd even throw disney into that category i mean i know they've got classics for decades but this was fresh and new and a breath of fresh air no doubt i just don't think anyone expected it to be anything special except the people that were making it they knew what they were doing but the general public had to be educated to it and made hip to it and people had to evangelize, you know, the, the critics had to say how great it was and encourage people to go out during a very crowded holiday schedule in the theater. And so I think a lot of people still are missing out on on seeing it in theaters because I don't know where it's at financially in the box office. But I, I don't think it's breaking Infinity War records or anything like that. So to see it get an award, I think, is great because more people will say, oh, really? It's that good? Maybe I should go check it out. And I think they'll end up having a very, very good time when they do. The Golden Globes are traditionally viewed as sort of the harbingers of where the Academy Awards might go. I mean, for example, today, because of Glenn Close taking on the Best Actress Award for Drama, suddenly everyone's wondering, well, does this mean she's going to take home the Best Actress Award at the, the Oscars? And pretty much the same thing is, is now being said about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And on the DreamWorks, Pixar, Disney side of the fence, they're not happy about this. These these guys are used to being the ones taking home the awards. On the other hand, for Sony Pictures Animation, which has done a lot of great work over the past couple of years, I'm really thrilled to see them getting recognition. The fact that this is supposed to be the first of many Spider-Man-related animated films that they're going to be putting out over the next four and five years. This is a great thing. Downside is that going into the same award show, that the big question was, how well is Black Panther going to do? And that basically got skunked last night. It, it took home nothing. 
Oh, really? Yeah, not a single thing. Now, mind you, Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel Studios, was there, uh, you know, and uh, walked the red carpet. And I'm sure he was thrilled about uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But while he was on the red carpet, he got quizzed by MTV about Avengers Endgame. And I think both you and I were struck by what he had to say about how they're going to be promoting this Russo Brothers movie. Yeah, and I think it's actually pretty wise of them because we're always concerned about spoilers and giving too much away. And in this day and age, anytime you release a photo online, the entire internet's going to analyze every pixel of it, look for stuff in the background, and then they're going to come up with, oh, well, I saw Pepper Potts wearing a birthday party hat, so that means that she's turning 40 this year or whatever. This, I mean, it's just stupid. So they've decided that if they're going to make a trailer, they're only going to use like the first was it 15 or 25 minutes? Uh, actually, 15 to 20. In fact, that 15 to 20, Feige okay. on the carpet was quoted as saying being able to generate excitement about this movie without giving away any of its many, many, many secrets will be ideal. So you're yeah. right. They're really narrowing in on that. What's kind of funny though, is that that one's coming out in late April. Yeah. And before that, six weeks before that, we have Captain Marvel. And so here's poor Brie Larson. All right. Who's just now starting to do the advanced publicity for uh, that Marvel cinematic universe movie. And Brie, had to basically run back and forth between the set of her own movie and Avengers three and four, you know, because they were sort of shooting, you know, all of her character scenes in one pile. And so her fear now, (laughs) evidently is that as she's out doing press for Captain Marvel, she's going to accidentally somehow say something that, you know, reveals a, a key plot point or a key development out of Endgame, and so right. in a recent interview, she had revealed her solution for dealing with this, and it's like basically what what she decided to do is that the second that the director said cut print, that she would deliberately try to forget whatever scene or piece of dialogue she had just done. You know, she just said, "Look, I never wanted to feel like I was going to be the one who slipped up, that I was going to be right. the one who said the wrong thing, and I can't live with myself with being the one who spoils anything." So. Just deleted everything from my head as soon as I said it in front of the cameras. If you look on the Disney side of the fence, if they could put Captain Marvel on the side of the moon to raise awareness, they'd do it. Did you see any of the footage coming out of Times Square on uh, New Year's Eve, Aaron? Or? No, and it was rather odd because we had the TV on to Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. But And even though you had told me about it and I was aware of it, I still wasn't paying attention for mm-hmm. it. Yep. And New Year's struck and all of our lights started making flashy colors and, mm-hmm. and strobe effects because we've got a cool lighting system here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we tinked our glasses full of champagne. Mm-hmm. And then we drank the champagne and we had our, our New Year's kiss. And, and that was about it. When the, I, I mean, we saw reporters on the street, but I didn't see anything on TV. What Disney did, because it, it turns out in addition to Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve with Ryan Seacrest, that's the full title. by the way. There were 15 other outlets uh, from around the world, in addition to hundreds of print reporters that were on the, the, the reviewing stands. And what, what Disney did to make sure that... People around the world knew that Captain America, or excuse me, Captain Marvel was coming. They actually bought three of the billboards, those giant super screen video screens that faced into 
Times Square. In fact, these were in the the one Times Square building. And they basically created this one giant 10 or maybe 15 story image of Captain Marvel sort of glowering down on the the crowd in Times Square for New Year's <laughs> Eve. And what was so bizarre about this is on the other billboards facing into Times Square, they had also bought space to advertise Tim Burton's Dumbo, which opens just three weeks after Captain Marvel opens on March 8th. So it was, you know, this com- combination of, of a big glowering Brie Larson and, and a happy-go-lucky flying elephant. That's a mixed signal there. Yeah, I just, but again, you know, it was all about what people could see in the background when the Backstreet Boys weren't singing and dancing on, on the stage there, in the, the pouring down rain, by the way. Yeah, I guess I just really never paid attention to what was going on in the billboards in the background. Mm-hmm. And had I, I might have been able to see that. Just one of those billboards? Is How much? $200,000? Oh, that's so, peanuts, man. That's nothing. Yeah, I, well, I guess it's all about making you where the movie's coming or go out and buy your tickets. Speaking of which, by the way, Fandango just made tickets available for Captain Marvel mm-hmm. full two months before this thing arrives in theaters. And this is January, January 2019, and if everything had gone according to plan, this is when James Gunn would have been putting the cast of guardians through its paces as they began working on the third installment of that series and getting back to feige on the red carpet of the golden globes he was asked flat out about guardians 3 and what he said is that this will eventually happen when where how that's a question for another time i will say this though he was very very gracious about Gunn's decision to go uh, direct the suicide squad reboot for one of the It's a sequel, isn't it? Well, they made a point of saying that, you know, Gunn was going to be able to reimagine this the way he wanted to go with the character. So what they're sort of cautioning at this point is that it's not necessarily a sequel. And you know how Disney is struggling to come up with a word to explain what the Jungle Book or uh, the Lion King is, you know, the, those... Yeah, the new live-action, quote-unquote. Yes, live-action CG movies, you know, the, mm-hmm. the folks at Warner Brothers right now are trying to come up with a word that somehow straddles sequel and reboot. So, reboot? reboot. It's, it's, it's a pre-boot because it, it'll come before, because that's what you always do if you don't do a sequel. And, and then it will reboot the series the way that we know it while still maintaining certain actors or characters or something. Yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm fine with it. I mean, okay. I'm, we're okay with them doing a Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix. That's mm-hmm. going to be one of their Elseworld concepts or whatever. Where I, I don't know if Elseworld is the correct thing. Elsewhere? <laughs> DC um, had a name for it. We're going to have to get better at our DC terminology. Yeah, whatever. whatever. <laughs> well, the thing is, for Feige, the, the cool thing is he doesn't need to say anything disparaging about James Gunn. I mean, the guy was already let go. Mm-hmm. He's not going to try and poop on his career just because they're no longer working together, especially if he's trying to envision some way of repairing this relationship somewhere down the line in the future. It may not be for Guardians 3, but may- maybe it's for Guardians 4. Here's open. Here's open. The other thing I think that kind of impressed me about Feige is he went out of his way 
to say that he'd really enjoyed Aquaman and that yeah. he was looking forward to, you know, I mean, again, he's a, obviously a competitor right? with what that city was up to, but he, he went out of his way to say, I'm, I'm looking forward to the other DC Universe movies, you know, movies like, you know, Wonder Woman 1984, which if the dice had fallen a different way, would have been Guardians 3's competition for next summer. Yeah. I think, as I recall from Marvel heads in the past, they've always been very vocally positive anyway about how they speak of DC. And it's usually an artist Mm -hmm. type of mentality is if DC puts out something great, that usually either inspires Marvel to do something, you know, that they got to top it. You know, I mean, yeah, you're obviously taking something, kind of stealing an idea and mm-hmm. manipulating it to make you, make it your own. But it's the concept of a high tide raises all boats. Mm-hmm. If your competition is getting better, you have to become better to stay competitive. And I think they like that as artists and storytellers. When the competition does something really great and you're like, oh, guys, you know, we got to have a board meeting to find a way to top this because that was awesome. They don't talk smack about it usually. They usually praise it and say, that was great. We got to do better. I'm honestly glad to hear that. There wouldn't be a Galaxy's Edge if there hadn't been a Wizarding World of Harry Potter. So this happens in all aspects of the... Right, exactly. Yeah, it's a perfect example. What I'd really like to do next in the show here is take a quick look back at 2018 and all the things Marvel did over that period. Could we maybe do that next half of the show? Let's do it. Okay, cool. All right. When we get back to the commercial, that's what we're going to do, folks. And we're back. Looking back at 2018, we're starting with the least impressive. What are we doing here? I decided to try and rank them. And this is the fun part is you can totally disagree with this and say <laughs> hogwash. That is a bunch of dogs bollocks. And, uh, uh, and then we can chat about why it's a bunch of dogs bollocks. But yeah, I've decided to rank in order of least impactful to most impactful, because I think you would agree Marvel this year has had a pretty spectacular year. Not much in the way of failure, all in the way of success, right? Yeah, I would yeah. say it's 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 been a very good year. So Yeah. So we're going to start with least impactful event of 2018. We're going to start at number 7. There's seven key moments this year. Number 7 is the cancellation of some of the defenders, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and Daredevil. And I think this is least impactful because Disney now has a chance to scoop it up, do it their way without any worry about what Netflix wants or cares about. And they can just throw it on Disney Plus, and now they have content for themselves, which I think is a bonus. So I don't see it as a bad. You know, it's it's not great, but it's not bad. So yeah. that's that's what number seven is there. Okay, and uh, just quick comment there. I, I want to mm-hmm. say just in the past four and five days, wasn't the lead of Luke Cage, you know, pretty much saying, look, you know, I'll come back. You know, if they want to continue, I'll come back. Sure. So. You know, yeah. there's a lot of, frankly, a lot of folks who enjoyed working on those shows who would love to continue. So, yeah, I, I, I get that. It was tough for Netflix subscribers who loved these shows. But what with uh, Disney Plus looming, we're in this battle of the subscription services that's about to get underway. And, and that's all about content. Yeah, they were always casualties and right. in battles. So. so we'll move on to number six. Mm-hmm. 
Ant-Man and the Wasp. Why? Because it did exactly what it was supposed to. No more, no less. It made some money. It wasn't terribly expensive. It didn't make a whole lot of money, but we didn't expect it to. So it wasn't a failure. At the time, critics were wondering, oh, it didn't make as much money as Infinity War. And I think the rest of us went, well, of course not, stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't have the entire cast of the entire MCU packed in it and a three-hour runtime and the world's biggest villain or the galaxy's biggest villain. It's, it's the Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's small. It's simple. It's fun. It's lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not meant to take over the world. What I enjoyed about Ant-Man and the Wasp was pretty much what I enjoyed about the original Ant-Man. I mean, the fact that it was a story that didn't take itself entirely too seriously, but did play fair. It was good, tight storytelling. Uh, It was a lot of actors who seemed to be having a good time. All right. Uh, Number five. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And the, you know, I think the only reason this is so, I would say, quote-unquote low on the list is because it just hasn't made a bazillion dollars at the box office. It was phenomenal. I don't think I could praise it enough, so I'll just stop right now and quit <laughs> praising it. It's just that there were so many other bigger things that happened this year for Marvel that when you have success, success, success... How do you rank all those successes? You all deserve a gold medal, kid, but it's got to go gold, silver, bronze. That's the way it works, right? So that's where Spidey lands. Okay. Number four, and I think you're going to be surprised by this, Jim. Mm -hmm. Number four is Avengers Infinity War. I have to admit, I'm kind of surprised that it's that far down on the list. Yeah, right, Uh, right. Why is that? Because of number three, two, and one were surprises. Just plain old surprises that you can't predict in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, we had Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is a Sony project. Mm-hmm. So, number three, another Sony project. And people may be surprised by this, especially because it's coming from me. Mm-hmm. Venom. Okay, so we had a head injury between nope. the last time we recorded podcast. I'm trying to be balanced and fair about this. It made a, it made all the money. People okay. across the world went to the theaters. They went to go see it. Sony's going to get to make a sequel. Mm-hmm. They may be now inspired to make their Silver Sable movie and Black Cat movie because of the Venom movie. I don't have to enjoy the fact that it's at number three. Mm-hmm. I just have to say, realistically, it did better than I think Sony would have expected it to do. The fact that they're like green lighting stuff right after it was like, oh my God, it made money. Quick, do another one. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think they would be further along in the process. Okay. All right. And it did so much money that it surprised people. Because mm-hmm. I expected Infinity Wars to make all of the money in the world, and it did. So I wasn't surprised by any of it. It was a great, big, huge, epic, wonderful thing, but I wasn't surprised by that because mm-hmm. I expected that. I didn't expect anything from Venom, and it surprised me by making a huge, huge pile of money, and it's going to have some sequels. So can, I, I got to say congratulations to Sony. Can I ask a quick question here, though? All right, yeah, given that it is made as much money as it is or it has and that Mm -hmm. it's clearly you know if properly tended it's a film franchise Mm -hmm. one of the charms for me of venom was that it was big and loud and fast and dumb sure there's always a danger in hollywood that when something makes money there's sort of this oklahoma land rush for everyone who wants to put to put their hand on it and you know claim a part of the success and that sort of thing do you think 
they're gonna screw up Venom too because now it was such a huge success and people are wow, now gonna that... start giving lots of <laughs> notes and see you're asking the wrong person because I already thought it was screwed up to begin with. So I I have I obviously think that the sequel is gonna be just as screwed up in a way that I will not particularly enjoy, but it will still end up making money because people are you know, they wanna put their hand in the popcorn bag and just shovel it in and kinda glaze over and watch big huge explosions and cool things on screen. And I get that. That's fine. So the sequel is going to have Carnage, mm-hmm. and there's really only one way you can go with that. Carnage is a serial killer, and he's all about, as his name would imply, Carnage. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be rampaging. Venom's going to have to stop him. They're going to have to have a tussle kind of early on, midway through the movie, to have, have at least one confrontation mm-hmm. before you get to the big, huge battle at the end. I guess what I'm worried about is... Remember what happened with Spider-Man 3. The first two films have been such huge successes that... Oh, yeah, and then Sony said, hey, let's put Venom in there, and then they put him in for 15 minutes and kill him off, and and everyone's kind of boo on that. There's nothing quite so dangerous as a a well-intentioned studio executive. Right. Well, my feeling is that anything in the Marvel Universe Mm -hmm. is going to be handled best by someone at Disney's Marvel, not Sony's. That's okay. only in association with. And so I don't think, and again, this is just an opinion of mine and it's not always all that popular, but I just don't think that Sony's ever got Spider-Man completely. Sam Raimi was a huge fan. He had you know the p- posters over his bedroom as a child. He grew up as a fan, which is why I think those were successful as he had the tone most accurate out of all of them. Mm-hmm. And then... The decision to reboot it because three didn't do so well, and there was a lot of discussion about what Sam wanted for four, and they Mm -hmm. didn't want to do Mm -hmm. that, and blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, Sony just has never really known what to do. So when it comes to Venom and Black Cat and Silver Sable and anything that Sony's thinking about doing, I'm going to plan for the worst, but hope for the best. And if it's coming from Marvel proper, from Disney, then I'm going to expect it to be good. And my, the bar is going to be that much higher on my expectations. And if they fail, then I'm going to be that much more hard on them. If Sony fails, I'm not going to be that hard on them because I expected them to fail. That's kind of how I see the two right now. Same thing with Fox. It was the, the X-Men movies. Some were okay. Some were not as good. And I just kept yearning for, God, if only Marvel could take them back, it would be so much better. Okay. For Sony, this was a huge success for them this year. And that's being acknowledged by putting them at number three. Moving on to number two. Mm-hmm. And again, you might be mildly surprised by placement of number two, but by process of elimination, maybe you figured out, is Black Panther. And I don't think anyone expected Black Panther to be as huge. I mean, we expected it to be big, mm-hmm. but it was embraced in a way that we just didn't expect. And it made all the, it made more money than Infinity War, didn't it? Oh, yeah. A little bit. I'll have to check on that. Give me two seconds. Even if it didn't. The fact that it's a solo hero standalone movie compared to an ensemble that has all of the heroes Mm -hmm. from the last 10 years should speak volumes to the quality of the movie. And to uh, bring up once again, it had a fantastic villain that you could sympathize with that that wasn't just a I'm going to take over the world mentality. I mean, you knew you could understand why they were, what their motives were and what made them do it. And they were sympathetic in that way that you almost wanted to see them succeed. You wanted to see them make it to Black Panther part two 
so yeah, having a great villain can make uh, a huge difference in a movie, and they had a spectacular villain. No, they did. They did. Uh, just to clarify, though, if mm-hmm. we're going strictly by domestic uh, ticket sales, yes, Black Panther came out on top. It was seven hundred million dollars. Avengers: Infinity Wars came in at six hundred and seventy-eight million. But if we're going uh-huh. worldwide, yep. uh, the box office there. Infinity Wars stomped Black Panther. Okay. Uh, worldwide uh, box office, uh, domestic and international combined, was $1.3 billion, whereas Infinity Wars was a good, solid $2 billion. Okay. Well, still, $1.3 billion for an individual solo hero movie is still I, pretty stunning. No, that's right. You know, they, yeah. Again, if somebody pulls up to the house and says, well, you know, here's your $1.3 billion, Mr. Hill, I will say, thank you. Yep, I will sign for that package, Mr. Stank. There we go. So. <laughs> so. All righty. And then we get to the number one event of the year. Most impactful event of the year. Remember, we're mm-hmm. going by the I think impact. I know where you're going here. So, all yes. right. Go ahead. The passing of Stanley. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the father of the entire universe that we've been enjoying mm-hmm. for these past 10 years in the movies and these past many, many decades in the comic books. I just can't see how that can't be the number one most impactful moment of 2018 for Marvel. Whether it be Sony or Disney's version of Marvel, it's just, we're not going to have cameos, we're not going to have his ideas, his his stories of the past, it's just, it's going to break my heart all over again, so I'm going to move on. That was number one, (laughs) the passing of Stanley, most impactful of the year. I have to read that. It's a a good, solid list, and more to the point, if we're going... From an impactful point of view, yeah, the loss of Stan. We all knew this was coming. Right. But at the same time, even losing him at 19, I I guess that says a lot about how we all felt about the guy. He died at 95, and it was still too soon. But the hard part about making a list like that is, you know, it's all subjective to my viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And it's only because I expected Infinity War to be great. And I expected horrid things from Venom Mm -hmm. that those two ended up getting flipped because I think rightfully that Infinity War should be on top of Venom, but it was just such a surprise hit. I mean, maybe other people were expecting it to break bank at the at the box office, but I expected it to fail and it didn't. It did very, very well worldwide. And I just felt it had to get that. Well, it's the surprise nudge that moved it ahead because we just didn't expect that. If you disagree with the ranking, I totally can I can sympathize and agree with that. I don't agree with my ranking either sometimes. No, 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 no. I, did, <laughs> I, I don't have a quibble. That worked for me. And by the way, if we're, we're keeping tabs on Venom, between domestic and foreign ticket sales at this point, it now sits at $855 million worldwide. And I'm sure that the uh, electronic releases of it and the Blu-rays and the DVDs and all that jazz will bump that number up significantly over the next few months, too. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Now that we've looked back at the past year, let's Mm -hmm. jump ahead to the future. Because it's, it's more fun to speculate <laughs> about about what could come from the... But it's fun to speculate from information from the past. So let's take a look at uh, the Disney Plus. We know that we've got a Scarlet Witch and a Loki. We really don't know much about Scarlet Witch yet. But mm-hmm. we did have recent news about Loki. And I think Marvel's doing a retcon. I think that they're changing the game. But you can go ahead and jump in and explain what, what has Marvel said about Loki. Just over the past week or so, I believe it was comicbook.com that 
notice that if you went to the official Marvel website, there had been a rewrite done of Loki's biography. And particularly the, the section that caught people's attention referenced that scepter that Loki wielded in the original Marvel's Avenger movie back in May of 2012. Anyway, the, this section reads, Loki was gifted with this scepter, which acted as a mind control device that Loki then used to influence others. But unbeknownst to him, the scepter was also influencing Loki, fueling his hatred of his brother Thor and the inhabitants of Earth. Now, if this is what was actually going on, it's never mentioned. It's right. a piece of dialogue. I actually went back and it's like, okay, so anything in the film that bears this out? And interestingly enough, there sort of kind of is. Remember the first Thor movie? Yep. Opens, what, May 2011, something like that. There's the big scene toward the end of the movie where Thor and Loki are battling in the Bifrost. Thor uses a hammer to break the Bifrost. And it looks like the, the two of them are going to fall off into that abyss. But at the very last second, Odin appears and sort of grabs Thor's cloak. And Loki, in turn, grabs the end of Thor's hammer. And he's dangling off of the abyss. And Loki sort of looks up at his, his adoptive father and, you know, just, I did this all for you. And, and Odin basically says, no, Loki, sort of rejecting everything that his adoptive son has done. And Loki looks up at his dad and then makes a conscious decision to commit suicide. He lets go of Thor's hammer and sort of falls off into the void of space. A year later, we have Marvel's Avengers. There's that scene where Thor and Loki have this, this chunk of dialogue. And Thor wants to know why his stepbrother now seems to despise him. And it's like Thor says, we were raised together. We played together. We fought together. Do you remember none of that? And Loki says, I remember a shadow living in the shade of your greatness. I remember you tossing me into an abyss. I was and should be king. And so, again, the key line there is, I remember you tossing me into an abyss. Not that I let go of the hammer and, and you know, I decided to kill myself. Mm -hmm. So clearly, Loki's misremembering it. Or, you know, something's influencing him to impact his memory. By the way, you're, you're <laughs> I, I, I sense you're really on board with this idea, Aaron. Well, I mean, my whole thinking is that had this been relevant mm -hmm. to Avengers 1, they would have written that in his bio when Avengers 1 came out. Mm -hmm. Oh, also, I need to interject a thought here. Yep. Kevin Smith mm -hmm. refers to the scepter as the Loki pokey stick. <laughs> so here in the Adams household, we only refer to the scepter as the Loki pokey stick because yeah. it amuses us. But it's like, yeah, every time Loki pokes someone in the chest, he takes them over. Mm -hmm. So it became in Kevin's mind, the Loki pokey stick. And I, I love that. So, I yeah. love that. I love yeah. that. Um, so I've adopted that. And uh, with the Loki, if, yeah, if it were relevant during Avengers one, they would have written that in Avengers one. You said it in May of 2011 is when Thor came out. And mm -hmm. so I, Obviously, the Russo brothers were not working on Avengers Endgame during May of 2011. This, I mean, this is a retcon. This is looking back at what you have to work with. 
and say and looking at the trail that was laid by everyone that came before you mm-hmm. and then picking up certain pieces that will fit a certain puzzle that you're kind of creating you know it's it's like i've got seven puzzle pieces and they all have petunias so i guess i better create a vase out of some puzzle pieces to put those petunias in mm-hmm. is exactly what they're doing and the reason for that my belief speculation only mm-hmm. is that you've got a loki series coming to disney plus in the near future and Disney doesn't want to just have a villain. They would like to have maybe a more sympathetic god of mischief, which is much more fun sounding, don't you think? A god of mischief can't be all that don't bad. Get me wrong. Just... I think you are, are genuinely on to something that there is you know, an off-ramp being created for this character, that whatever Loki does in Endgame will then definitely create a path for this character and this limited series that they're doing for Disney plus. And in fact, the initial description of it from last year described it as a six to eight episode limited series. Mm-hmm. But I tend to bury the needle in the other direction that there is an awful lot of advanced planning when it comes to these Marvel cinematic universe movies. In fact, there's another interesting quote from Kevin Feige from last night on the the red carpet at the Golden Globes. And he talked to someone asked him about is Avengers 4 called Endgame because Doctor Strange said that in the movie. And Kevin said, no, it's actually the opposite. That Doctor Strange says we're entering the endgame because for the past four and five years, that this movie was always going to be called Endgame. That during its entire development, this was what this project was called, Endgame. You made a comment at the top of the show about people on the internet carefully examining photographs and then extrapolating information. And if Loki is being controlled by the Scepter, what if he learned about it? We pretty much figure that time travel is sort of the key to Endgame. The whole carefully thrown away line that Michelle Pfeiffer uses at the end of Ant-Man of the Wasp, that beware of the time vortexes. When November of 2017, just Jared ran some pictures that had been shot by people who were observing principal photography of uh, Avengers 3 and Avengers 4. And there was a, a scene that was observed where Robert Downey Jr. was made up as Tony Stark, but it was Tony Stark in an outfit no one had ever seen him in before. It was uh, an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. security uh, guy outfit. And people were like, okay, so what's that about? And as soon as I heard that, I remembered, in fact, I, I went and dug out the screenplay for Marvel's Avengers. It's, it's available on online. And the specific moment I, I recalled was there's scene 74, which is an interior hallway in the helicarrier. And it's, it's continuous. You know, the idea is, is, you know, the very next scene you see in the movie and it's Loki being escorted down a hallway by a troop of armed guards. He walks past a window that looks into a lab where Banner is working, and Loki smiles through the window at Banner, and Banner removes his glasses and rubs his temples. So what if we have this time vortex thing, which is going to obviously play a role in the, the, the film, and, and we have Loki being escorted to his holding cell on the helicarrier by a, a troop of armed guards? What if... Tony Stark has somehow made use of the time vortex and has gotten back to the helicarrier and, and is now wearing the uniform of the, these guards to 
escort Loki to his cell? What if Tony is then the guy who stays with Loki as he settles into his cell and informs him of you're not yourself, you're being controlled by the scepter. Thanos is playing you as a chump. What would a Loki do? I can't help but think on the heels of that, the line out of the opening of Infinity Wars where Loki turns to Thor and says, I assure you, brother, the sun will shine on us again. That takes on a whole different meaning, especially from a guy who's faked his death yeah even if loki's in the credits right now for avengers endgame i still don't believe he's going to be in the movie i just want to feel that it's final and he's not coming back for some reason and then that would lead me to the loki tv series that's going to be on disney plus would have to be a prequel because Mm -hmm. loki is thousands of years old therefore there's any point in history that he could come to earth and manipulate men for his own amusement and I think the, the the possibilities for a Loki series are fairly endless. Mm-hmm. What I think would be really fun is because it's a Norse mythology is where it comes from, I think that it would be great if they brought some of those characters to olden day Vikings to create those myths by Loki showing up to some Vikings and being like, Hey, I'm a God, check me out, you know? And like, Oh wow. Look at all the stuff he can do. And then that's where the legends come from for us today. I think that would be a whole lot of fun, but I don't think that's what they're going to do. I don't fault that idea, but I just, again, I'm a constructionist and it's like, I'm just kind of intrigued by this combination of retconning Loki's story to get that info out there ahead of this. And that image of Tony Stark. And I, I, I can't help but look at those two and think those are rocks in the river. Well, here's my logic train on that is if they do go back to Avengers one, where Stark is for some reason in a disguise to put Loki in a jail cell on the helicarrier. And we go back that far. Mm-hmm. That means that when the portal is opened over New York city, that all of the Avengers have to fly through that portal and take on Thanos directly before he's got the gauntlet. And that's how that would have to play out logically for me. Now, the thing is, like, I've seen pictures of Pepper Potts supposedly in her rescue Mm -hmm. iron outfit, and she has never had that in the past. That's a present day or future type item for her. So my belief is that most of this battle is going to take place in present day. I mean, there may be some time travel involved to give them some critical information about what has happened, but I don't think that they're going to go back 10 years to Avengers 1 to resolve the conflict that way. I think they might go back, make a trip back in time, do a quick scene, and then come back to present day and then finish it off the rest of the way. But it's Marvel, and I have no idea what they're going to do. There was another piece of photography from the same period Basically, it's a recreation of that that moment from the first Avengers movie where you have, you know, in the middle of the Battle of New York, the heroes all sort of standing back to back against one another. And then right. clear out of the blue in kind of a Marty McFly running up to Doc Brown in Back to the Future 2, that you have Scott Lang's character, his Ant-Man garb, running up to these guys. There's video, there's images of this, so clearly this is a scene that was shot. Doesn't necessarily mean that it will end up in the movie, but it's just, it's, it's one of these things where the very moment in the story you're talking about, one character that wasn't there previously suddenly shows up. And I guess my worry about retconning the whole 
Loki was influenced by the scepter that Thanos gave him. I like Loki. I like Loki the way he is now. Yeah. I don't necessarily need him to be redeemed. I would still watch a TV series if he were a sneaky pain in the ass. In fact, I, I had always just assumed, based on the fact that, you know, there's that wonderful line where, from the opening of Infinity Wars, where Thor is explaining, well, Thanos asks for the Tesseract, and Thor is like, you can't have it. it. It's back on our home planet, which was destroyed. And then Loki conjures it out of thin air. And, and Thor just says, you really are the worst brother. I'm perfectly happy with that version of the character going forward. I'd, I don't necessarily need my God of mischief to redeem himself, but yeah. But yeah. I, at the same time, I, I trust Kevin Feige and the folks there. So if this is how they're going to do that, I'm just kind of intrigued to see where this goes. I am hoping it will be relatively minor. I mean, there so far all it is is a blurb online in his bio. Mm-hmm. Really, that that really doesn't mean anything of any consequence, since it is Disney at the master controls. I would expect them to, if they're going to make a show about anybody, they're not going to make them a straight villain. You know, that's just going to try and conquer the world and be evil. Loki is the god of mischief. So I would expect that maybe Disney wants to just do something that's a little bit more light, but still in line with the Loki attitude. You know, he should be creating some kind of chaos or misery for mankind or some poor Asgardian or whatever the case may be. But yeah, he's never going to be a good guy. Some people are just meant to be bad guys. And I think Loki is in that category of he's better if you're true to his character and you just make him mischievous and trying to exert his will on others. I guess we'll know more in a year from now. True, true. Aaron and I are going to talk long before that. We'll have a, another episode of Marvelous Disney coming along fairly shortly. So till then, thanks to you folks for listening and we'll be back with a new show very shortly. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.